Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, my name is Brad, and I am joined this week by the one and only Alex, all the way over in the Netherlands. Hello! He's there. He's holding his arms up. Happy to be here. Are you still playing WoW? I, I am still playing WoW, yes. Has your time dipped down at all from when you first started with the new expansion, or is it still pretty consistent, like, you're playing WoW? I mean, the first week the expansion was out, I had the Friday off. And the Friday, I woke up at 10. I started up my computer. I took a break for lunch and a break for dinner, and I played till 4 in the morning. I haven't done that, but <laughs> but I do still sink in a lot of time. For uh yeah yeah the break for the essentials <laughs> yes and uh I mean in the first week I even kind of told like the first two days I kind of even told my girlfriend like yeah I'll just like you know if if I don't reply to your text for like two hours just if it's important just ring me because I might not see the text but it, it's died down a little bit but for the real wow nerds out there they know the raid so the raid is like the big end game content opens tomorrow so I'm all prepped can't wait. Jesus Christ. You're going to be like the episode of South Park when they're playing WoW and they're all fat as fuck. And like, no. he's like, Mom! Mom! And she comes in with the fucking train. No. Oh, man. You need a litter box. I do still go to the gym. I went to the barber Saturday. It's not like I'm skipping on what I have to do in life. I'm still doing my internship. I haven't like called in sick a day to play WoW because yeah. I find that pathetic when people do it. So I am currently trading in one membership for another as far as gyms are going, because I'd been doing for the last like six months jujitsu every week, a hmm. um, few days a week. <clears throat> and that was my way of like keeping fit. About a month ago, I uh, hyperextended my knee and dislocated my kneecap um, defending a takedown, which uh, I have bad knees. So that's nothing really crazy for me. Um, I hyperextend both knees all the time. Just when I'm playing sports, it's why I stopped playing sports in high school. Because I have a condition. It's genuinely a condition. It's the stupidest name in the world. You want to guess what it's called? About how uh, my kneecaps are? I- I'm not even going to try. Floppy kneecaps. <laughs> That's the genuine term for it. There's no special term. There's no fancy, like, seven vowels going on in the actual thing. I mean, sometimes it's all you need, Brad. It's just a simple description. You have floppy kneecaps. Yeah, I fucking hate it. It's like, this is a funny one. It's, I really like this term. This is not going to sound really random. When you're in space, you know, as you do, and you get sucked into a black hole, the gravity, like, accelerates so quickly that it actually stretches out your body because the gravity at your feet is so much stronger than the gravity at your head, and it stretches you out. And it's, I believe the official scientific term for it is spaghettification. Yes, that is actually true. And now, to be fair, this is this is all theory-based. We don't know for certain what happens when you enter a black hole, but... Oh, Alex, side note, before I get back to the knee thing, you missed this wonderful admin meeting last night. So it was myself, Matt, and Nameless. Nameless, again, is the one who made the music for us, for our viewers listening. And uh, we had a meeting to discuss scheduling for the server. That part of the meeting took about 15 minutes. You know how long we were in the meeting? Probably like two hours. About three hours. <laughs> it was just Alex. I was like, it was just Matt and I going off about like space. And he was talking about like math equations. And we, we were also talking about like, I have like half of it recorded. Craig dipped out an hour and a half in. He's like, I'm not having any of this. We were talking about black holes. We were talking about like how space is finite. 
And it's like this, which is weird because you think of it as being infinite, but technically speaking, there is an end to it. So it's a finite finish as well as matter in general is finite, meaning that the most, the, the best theory we have as far as the death of the universe is eventually leading up to proton decay, where the protons themselves within an atom break apart and disintegrate, which leads to the rest of the atom to actually fall apart and disperse and cease to exist. Well, there's, there's multiple, right? Because it's also like, because the universe is ever expanding, that at one point it will expand so much that there is too much room between, um, I think it's atoms, so they can no longer bind and do things. Oh, that's one too, yeah. And then just nothing happens because nothing can interact with anything anymore. Yeah, that's one too. Then there's the big rip where like eventually the universe expands and and actually it causes the fabric of reality and matter itself to rip apart and destroy itself that way. There's the big crunch in which it's expanding so rapidly that eventually the speed is so great that the gravity collapses back in on itself and it's like a can crunching together. So... Before we go into this for way too long, because we actually got magic to talk about and probably too much to cover this week. Yeah. Um, if anyone wants to know any more of this shit, um, Gritzkazakt is probably the best YouTube channel out there. And they have a video, Three Ways to Destroy the Universe, which I believe, and also one, How Will the Universe End, which I believe both like cover that sort of thing. There's even one called The Most Efficient Way to Destroy the Universe. So, but they have all these great science videos. If you ever hear me quote anything sciencey, it's either from that or SciShow. Like, watch it. Or um, the makers of SciShow also have one uh, crash course. That's also a great one. To wrap up my last thought, I got injured doing jujitsu, and also work has been too much or whatever. So I'm trade. I I canceled my jujitsu membership, unfortunately, which is going to cost me two hundred bucks. But whatever. I was already paying about a buck twenty a month for it. Not a very cheap membership. Um, and then I'm switching it over to a $10 a month gym membership. <laughs> That's right down the road. So, uh, I'll just start working out that way. But yeah, bad knees don't help. Um, but jujitsu for anyone that's ever wanted to get involved in BJJ, absolutely amazing. Like it is one of the best cardio workouts you'll ever have. Um, I threw up my first six visits. Great. After like, cause like you, even if, even if you're like decently in shape and you run a decent amount, uh, you're not in shape for that. I promise you're not. You're not there yet. You get gassed when you're sparring for three minutes straight and then you have a minute break and then you spar for another three minutes straight and you have five rounds of that. It, three minutes sounds like nothing, but good God. When you're using all of your muscles in your entire body to control someone's entire body weight and they're doing the same thing against you and you're trying to fight for who's essentially going to be able to pin the other person or you know submit them, it expels a lot of energy. I've done judo for about seven or eight years. So judo is cool too. Muay Thai as well. Muay Thai is really cool. Muay Thai is the more brutal one, right? Yeah. Muay Thai is uh, like a lot of Russians do Muay Thai. If you like watch the like MMA, a lot of, you'll see a lot of Russians be like, yeah, he's a Muay Thai expert out of someplace in Russia. I, can't, I was going to say Moscow, but that's generic as fuck. All right. Anyway, getting into magic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so let's do this lightning round, lightning round. So we all know that there is metagame stuff over the weekend. We had some challenges, things like that. That's not the main thing we're going to talk about. But real quick, Alex, who won? Who won the challenges? The challenge on the fifth was won. Sorry, this was the Crew 3 Discord challenge, which was won by Rosavoros. Then the Pioneer challenge on the fifth was won by Saltai Reclamation. And the challenge on the sixth was won by Monogreen Planeswalkers. With the one notable thing, because this deck almost never changes, that it just went a little bit greedier. 
It's only two Llanowar Visionary, still the four Voracious Hydra, but now two Gargaroth in the main. So it went a little bit larger. Yeah. And one funny one is that it runs Orbs of Warding in the sideboard. Obviously for the wishboard. Five mana, you have Hexproof. If a creature would deal damage to you, prevent one of that damage. Kind of a decent roadblock. Yeah. Anything of note you want to say about any of these challenges, whether it's just the winners or like the representation of the challenges themselves? Oops All Spells, of course, is a lot of decks in each challenge, I'm pretty sure. At least a handful. Yeah, but Mono Green's also back back in full swing, effectively, being the most represented on the 6th, and the 4th most represented on the 5th. So, Mono Green's back again. I mean, it's already been back for a while, we talked about it, how the meta with Burn and Niv and that sort of thing kind of represented the meta on which Mono Green was good before, and it still is. Mono Green's fun. I mean, it's just, the deck's cool. It's just one of those decks that I have no interest in playing, because it's like, it's kind of like Tron, I guess. It's like, are you going to just get stuff out really fast? I mean, Mono Green and Walkers is actually kind of the Tron of our format. Yeah, kind of. Just like the the big red deck kind of fits that mold. It again put a copy in the challenge on the fifth, the huge red deck we talked about last week. Mm. So that's kind of cool to see that deck. Were there any other decks that were just like notable that they popped up in a challenge, or is it just pretty much stock? Notable for the amount of mono red aggro. Just mono red, not Moira's Burn? No, actual mono red aggro. So we're running like Bowmat Courier and stuff too? Yeah, in the challenge on the 5th, uh, it was two copies of... It's all thrown together in mono red, the huge red and the mono red, so it's a bit hard to see. But the mono red aggro was actually four copies, and the huge red was two copies. And the challenge on the 6th had... I think it, I think those are all regular mono red, because they're all like 90 bucks. Yeah, so, oh, that's a good way to look which one it is, actually, on the landing thing, just see how much the deck costs. Uh, yeah, and that was five copies of Mono Red Aggro, which makes it actually tied with Mono Green Planeswalkers for the most represented deck in that challenge. So Mono Red Aggro is kind of back in full swing. So I want to ask you something. If you're talking to someone, like, you know, who wants to get into Pioneer for the first time, or they want to just hop into Pioneer after they haven't played for a while, or whatever, they want to play on a budget. And they like to be the aggro player, turn stuff sideways. Dude, mono red's great. Play that. But are you going to suggest mono red or Boros Burn? Oh, 100% mono red. Really? Even though, like, let's say they're like, I have 200 bucks to spend either way. Yeah, I, I personally like it more because it's a bit leaner. It's a super lean deck. Beaumont Courier is a crazy magic card. It has some more fun tools to play with, in my opinion. Bonecrusher Giant, uh, Collective Defiance. Oh, actually, you could put. Collective Defiance in Luris. But yeah, Bone Crusher Giant, Goblin Chain Whirler, Chandra, Hazaret. There's actually like some cool play to Mono Red too. It's just my personal preference. And it is even cheaper, which even if someone has the budget, I would still recommend them the deck that's half the price if I feel like they're kind of similar. And it's an easier entry deck because it's just so straightforward, Mono Red Aggro. So I would probably recommend someone playing that. I really liked playing Mono Red uh, Aggro at the beginning of the format. But I mean, Boros Charm is just so, it just calls my name. It's like, ooh, that extra, extra one damage to just pop it off. Even if you're not going face, you're like, I'm going to give this double strike. <laughs> Anything else of note that you see in the, uh, any of the challenges? Sultai Wreck. Sultai Wreck was uh, doing a weird thing. It was, it was running Seder Wayfinder and the creature slot, which I guess it feels Uro. And you did mention this po- uh, precast that they're running uh, Chemistry's Insight, so you can mill that over too, and then... Yeah, it's already started running Chemistry's Insight in the list, but now it's actually up to three. And it's not even running Dig, because it's just solely fueling Uro. So I guess that's kind of the 
sort of like dynamic you get there, where like your draw spell fueled by your milling is now chemistry's inside, which doesn't actually tax the yard as much because it just you have to discard a card to cast it, so it keeps the same amount of cards in the graveyard. So you can have a little bit more of a focus on getting Uro back, which I guess is cool against like the mono red players in the world. Still a little bit surprised by the Seder Wayfinder, especially considering the deck runs two sensor, two negate, three sinister sabotage, which I always find very awkward with two mana sorcery plays. Yeah. Especially the Sinister Sabotage being Sinister Sabotage. I understand it is because the Surveil is like extra good in this deck as opposed to like in some decks where it might be like a little bit better than a Scry. Like here you're looking for Chemistress inside Uro. Uh, Uro means you don't just want to discard the Uro, but actually just fuel your yard. So I, I get it. But if this was something like a neutralize, you could kind of like afford to sometimes tap out and have this counter spell be a little bit lackluster because you could always cycle it. Which discard doesn't have that upside, but yeah, they six zero the challenge. They probably know what they're doing. The weird thing about Soltai is it's not the traditional reclamation where it's like I'm just going to kill you randomly with a big expansion explosion. It's just it's super fair. Yeah, super fair, super grindy. It's just you know like we'll, we'll untap. Like if you go Wilderness Reclamation untap in the next turn you're like okay hard cast shark typhoon if you have the mana available and then untap and then you have counter spells to be like okay make shark make shark like stuff like that i mean i'm saying super fair as far as doubling your mana is fair but like it it uses that mana in a way to just generate more advantage and not just outright one shot you waiting for us for to slowly start throwing in the scarab god uh, just when we get those more creature heavy metas because i feel like just slam down scarab god untap and then be like token maker we talked about it before. I don't like it. It's a five drop against aggro. It's going to be like, cool, five mana sorcery. Play, kill it, kill you. What are you going to do? Tap out for a five drop again? Yes. <laughs> like, it's good if you have Wilderness Reclamation into Scarab God, right? That's a pretty decent curve. Because mm-hmm. now you get your Scarab God and your untap. And if you've interacted before you make your creature, you can go like turn one push, turn two growth spiral, turn three Wilderness Reclamation, turn four Scarab God. Like, that's pretty disgusting. Aside from that, I'm not a big fan of the Scarab God because it's a bit slow. But in the right meta, the card is amazing. That's one thing to notice. We've talked about this before when we had our uh, one episode a couple weeks ago talking about what if Pioneer merged with Historic. We talked about the influence that Historic has on Pioneer, right? Like we saw Rakdos Pyromancer, Rakdos Arcanist come up again in Pioneer after it came out big after the release of Amonkhet remastered on Historic. So there's a little bit of play on from both uh, sides. They kind of get inspired by one another. But then there are decks that are just consistently good in there and in historic that don't exist in pioneer like for example like mono black gift or like azorius like godfro's gift like that's a deck that's pretty solid in historic and it's a tier deck but you would consider that a rogue fringe deck in pioneer because it hasn't seen play or even like energy stuff in historic and of course pioneer is the bigger pool but it's interesting because there's a lot of similar stuff they both have all the crazy stuff from the last few years like those standards i find it really interesting that some just a few handful of cards here and there make all the difference as to why certain decks are playable in one format like historic where they're just not good enough in pioneer i find that incredibly interesting yeah i agree i just don't know enough about historic to chime in but i do find the idea interesting that this back and forth between the formats and i can move on to our subject of today because the meta game is always our more basic thing so what we wanted to do for today, so we looked at MTG Goldfish, last decks from 30 days, and we went over the top 10 decks, but we're going to talk about general cards that are effective in this matchup. So generally, we would be talking about sideboard cards, 
but sometimes we're going to be talking about main deck cards, either in the way of, hey, if this card is an option for your deck, uh, meta is heavy for this deck, consider it. Or maybe like, if maybe you approach it the other way, it's like, oh, there's a lot of burn in my meta, maybe I should play a deck that includes this card. Like, if we're going to name Omnath, we never expect you to have a Omnath in your sideboard. Right, that's a main deck card. Mm-hmm. So that would only apply if it's a deck that can support Omnath. Yes. And it'll make more sense once we start going through the list and then we give examples of these. And it'll be much more clear once you hear what the cards are. Again, it's not an exhaustive list. We're going to forget things. We're going to mess up. I'm going to say negate is good out of blue and then forget Dovin's Veto out of multicolor. Like something like that is just going to happen. And keep in mind that when we do name cards, let's say we name a card and you and we're in blue and you hear us say, you know, negate, mystical dispute, just counter spells in general. You can assume that other counter spells that you consider within your meta to be playable, we include those as well. If they do a similar thing or have a similar role in what that sideboard slot does. Just because we forget that one common from Oath of the Gatewatch that does counter things doesn't mean, uh, you know, we're not talking about it. So please don't angrily tweet at us that we forgot, you know, horribly awry or something. Yes, so don't angrily tweet. But if you have a cool card that you think like, hey, this is really a card I think they missed, do tweet at us. Yeah. You know, we can always get back on this next week. It's like, oh yeah, never consider this card. If you figure out a tech card that isn't cute, but actually just good, be like, yeah, hell yeah, I want to I hear about your good cards. And uh, I don't think we have anything else to preface before we go into the list, Alex? No, let's, uh, let's get into it. So again, this is going just from number 1 to number 10 on Goldfish as the day we record this. Uh, which also might mean that one deck, by the time you listen to it, or by next week, might not be on this list anymore. We're going off 8th of December is when we're recording this. And the last thing to include is... If we name a deck where in the scenario that Alex is saying where they kind of pops off that top 10, if it fits a similar role or archetype like mid-range control uh, combo or aggro, then you can assume that other decks that are outside of the top 10, but similar to the decks that are in the top 10, you can assume that a lot of the cyborg cards or cards in general that you can have an option to hate them out can function in a similar way or similar function. All right. So with all that out of the way, Let's get into the first deck, which is Wilderness Reclamation. How we're going to do this, we're literally just going to go over all the colors, colorless, multicolored, and we're just going to name some cards and give some rationale as to why they work. So Wilderness Reclamation, the first one we're going to start off with in white is uh, Skyclave Apparition. Now Skyclave Apparition is fairly effective against any flavor of Demon Reclamation. It gets rid of the Reclamation, Teferi, Omnath, Uro, not Shark Typhoon tokens, because you can only grab non-token cards, but still, it's going to deal with the majority of permanents that they're going to put on the board, and it's going to give them, like, a lousy XX when they deal with it, which is going to be way less threatening than whatever you got rid of. The XX doesn't even fly. It doesn't even fly. What a bad spirit. (laughs) And the other one is more specific if you're facing the Sultai version, which is Apostle of Purifying Light which is 2 mana for a 2-1 pro-black, and it's pay 2 mana, don't need to tap it, so you can immediately do it, uh, pay 2 mana, exile a card from a graveyard. So that can get rid of their chemistry's inside, their Uro, and at the same time, it's incredibly hard to kill because it's pro-black. Yeah, and the majority of their removal is black. Just be wary of attacking into Shark Typhoon. That's the main thing. Don't attack into Shark Typhoon. Exactly. But if you don't do that, you're golden. Coming out of blue, we've got Aethergust. Again, they're green guards. 
generally speaking, there's a fair amount of green cards in the deck. The Uros, the Wilderness Rex. Uh, Narset, the deck draws a lot of cards. Now they don't. Uh, Mystical Dispute, it's a blue deck. Disdainful Stroke, the cards cost four or more. A lot of them. A lot of the cards that matter cost four or more when they have to resolve. Yeah, a little awkward against Uro. It also depends on the flavor. This one I would definitely consider to be better against Teamer or Four Color than Sultai. Awkward against Uro, but, you know, it's everything else. Being able to counter big explosions uh, and Omnath is going to be very big. Yes. And then we've got Negate being a pretty good card against this deck where a lot of their cards that matter are non-creatures against the Omnath version is a little bit creature heavier, but I would still consider Negate to be a good card in that matchup. Now, you want to talk about Shark Typhoon too, Brad. So why do you want to add what do you want to add about having Shark Typhoon? Yeah, so we can consider Shark Typhoon as an option for all controlish kind of decks in general, but I f- consider Reclamation decks to be first and foremost a control deck with that type of finish at the end, being Reclamation into whatever their value plan is. And typically if I'm gonna have the recommendation of Shark Typhoon, especially out of the sideboard, you're most likely already running two or three copies of Shark Typhoon in the main and just having that one extra to have in the entire 75. Shark Typhoon is great in the sense of when you're going against control, it dodges their counter spells, dodges stuff like that. You can make it big enough to dodge their sweepers and a decent amount of the removal. Against Soul Tie, you might have the option where you know, you're a bit more of a controlling deck in a sense because obviously that's probably why you're running Shark Typhoon. So they might side out their fatal pushes and their eliminates. So then you bring in Shark Typhoon, and then you have that extra pressure to put on them, and they might not have the removal available to uh, hit it. So Shark Typhoon is a great way. It cycles through your deck. It, we already know it's a great card. If you hard cast it, amazing. But just even purely for the cycling ability, just to get that extra pressure in there, because nothing feels better than even on, let's say, turn three. Even if they just slam down to Fairy, down tick, because they're like, he's not going to do anything. They can't stop me. And then you go, okay, I'm going to cycle the shark typhoon for one and there's blank that's a fairy that that's great that alone right there can swing games and it has plenty of times when i was playing with that card yeah that makes sense going into black maybe a nice uh not the first card i thought of but a nice segue from when you just talked about shark typhoon i think eliminate especially against the teamer variety again this is not a particularly great one against sultai but i would keep it in probably is eliminate now eliminate i more consider a card to keep in rather a card that you specifically board in. Mostly because the trap that you always run into against control-style decks is that you board out all your removal. Now, the Reclamation decks still have plenty of cards you want to kill. Namely, Omnath, uh, Uro, Teferi, Shark Typhoon tokens, that jazz. Narsets, maybe. And Eliminate deals with almost all of those cards. So it makes it easy to sort of, like, prioritize, right? Like, hey, I'm gonna have them escape this Uro because I can kill it so I can hold up the counter for Omnath. Like, that sort of thing. And that's what Eliminate allows. Eliminate's generally not a card you find in sideboards, although you could. It's, again, more a card of, if it's in your main deck, um, don't cut it as quickly as you might be tempted to. Sometimes people start off sideboarding and they're like, okay, removal spells, they're dead. I take all of those out. Probably take out Eliminate last, unless you have, like, Hero's Downfall, which might be, like, the the biggest cover for everything. But I don't think we're playing Inverter right now, so... I don't even play it in Grixis. I play um, the Edict, uh, Soul Shatter. Thoughtseize? Obviously. You know, this is a card that's going to be mentioned a lot, just like Skyclave Apparition. Uh, Thoughtseize is just great. Disrupts their game plan. 
all that good jazz. And Brad, do you want to touch a little bit on extraction effects in these type of matchups? Yeah, so extraction effects. Now, it's there's no easy answer straight up. Like you can you can argue just say you know hit reclamation. That's usually the first option to take away their you know ability to just go super tall and just you know giant expansion explosion, especially against the uh, the teamer and the four color versions that have that availability. But they still have the backup plan into Uro and things like that as well or Omnath. So you still have to deal with that, but you're at least making them play fair magic again. So they're at least on your level and it's a bit easier to keep up, especially in the fact that you're, you know, doing nothing when you cast an uh, an extraction effect. Because at the end of the day, it is a turn off for you at the upside of removing a card out of their deck. So if you're in black, extraction effects like Necromantia, um, if you are in multicolored for un- Unmoored Ego, which I guess we'll name that later, but I'll just continue this or consider this in this thing as well. Yeah, um, they're they're good. Typically, you want to name uh, Wilderness Reclamation. If they already have a Wilderness Reclamation down, you can look at other options like naming Uro and stuff like that um, or Expansion Explosion. Against those decks, it's actually probably a really good idea just straight up name Expansion Explosion over Reclamation. Because then they're just making big sharks and stuff like that with their extra mana instead of drawing a million cards and killing you. Yeah, like I'm personally not a big fan of extraction effects, and I believe people play them more often than they should. Especially considering like you never sideboard for one matchup in specific. So if you find yourself with extraction effects in your sideboard for good reason, Mm. I think they can come in in this matchup. What I wouldn't do, and you can save you on this, I wouldn't put an extraction effect in my sideboard because I'm afraid of Wilderness Reclamation. I would look for a different card. Yeah, you need to make sure that the field is open enough where your extraction effect... If you run an extraction effect like Necromentia in your sideboard, you should probably be able to name off the top of your head at least two other decks it comes in against. Otherwise, there's no reason to run it. It's too narrow. If I would think like, oh, I want to have a specific card against Wilderness Reclamation, I would run a card like Agonizing Remorse or, well, not Duress, because that misses too often with what's in the deck. But I would have a card like Agonizing Remorse over an extraction effect if I'm targeting like one, like just Wilderness Wreck, for example. I will say one last uh, card, and this kind of comes back to the same vein as Shark Typhoon when talking about like it's good against like other control type decks and things like that. Uh, Rankle. Is a, is a good option. Rankle, sweet. Yeah, so Rankle, make him discard stuff. Um, Your deck has to be able to support it, though. It's 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 a it's a card that definitely, like, you can't just slap it in a black deck. Yeah, if you're in uh, Mono Black Aggro, you're actually already main decking Rankle, so good for you. Um, if you're playing Mono Black Vampires or the Splashing Orzhov Vampires, um, not to go on a side thing, but you've heard the expression where you say, like, you know, like, wet... Uh, whatever color, whatever, like wet, like guild. Yeah, we've got like moist jund yeah. when it's like jund with a blue splash. Yeah. What would you call a monocolor deck that's splashing a single color? Like, I would, my first thought was like dusty or sandy mono black when I was thinking of white, just barely being in there. I think you can like make it flavorful. Like, I would name it like enlightened mono black or something. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, I like that. Blue is wet vampires. Yeah, wet vampires. And like red is like angry vampires. Then I think about madness. Though one card in vampires I've actually wanted to been curious about is the one from Zenikar Rising, the Rakdos one that gets reduced by the uh, party thing and it has haste. Kind of depends on how your party's made up. If you're cheating out with, uh, with Soren, though, seems pretty good. I mean, 
then every vampire is playable. But continuing on our bit, going into what if you're a red deck? Now, if you're a red deck, my first thing I noted down was shock would just in notes get him dead. Yeah. Like, I don't think red is particularly great at having, like, tech cards. The one we were thinking of was Roiling Vortex, because of the life gain denial. If you have, like, a dead card, it might work. Not a massive fan, but denying them that life gain, having that little bit of a clock might push you over the edge, really depending on your deck's construction. I don't know enough about Mono Red. We should have probably asked Dawn last week. Well, Dawn's the burn player. What do you think about four mana Chandra if you're out of mono red? Not Boros Burn, but too slow. Mono red. Too slow. What about it might come in. I can see it coming in, especially because I've seen the Wilderness Rec decks, they run like Fatal Push and uh, Abrupt Decay and that sort of thing. So it's a bit hard to kill. Yeah. I'm just curious if you're not being overrun before your Chandra is good enough. Mm. Because you're probably not killing anything on board. So you're probably going like, Chandra, tick up, deal two, tick up, deal two. Like, yeah, eventually you're going to ult, but aren't you just like overwhelmed and hasn't your Chandra been killed by a shark Yeah, by that time? That's what I'm curious about. If you're in mono red and you're not constricted to the confides of Luris's, uh, you know, companion, what's the word? Not restrictions, but I guess restrictions, fine. Um, then you can run three mana stuff. Then you can run, you know, Rampage and Ferocidon. You can run Rabble Master, Legion War Boss. Like those nice three mana cards that put pressure on your opponent and do a thing. But then you could run Hazaret if you're a, if you're an aggro deck. Yeah, Hazaret's really cool. Yeah, I like Hazaret a lot. It dodges a lot of stuff. It's hard to deal with. There's not a lot of yeah. Most removal they they tend to not run Languish or a card like that, so it's hard to kill. They do run Extinction Event, uh, so it can be a little bit awkward. But again, if you're playing like one drops and three drops and then a hazard are they really going to name even on the extinction event like that might like you might be able to put them in a bind depending on how your mana costs line up in your deck now i don't like legion warboss but i do like rebel master because rebel master's clock is significantly faster yeah i think it comes down to what your expectations are but legion warboss is if if it's a budgetary concern then i'd recommend legion warboss yeah if you don't feel like spending the extra money on rebel master i think it's a difference of like six bucks a piece versus two bucks a piece so that adds up for people um but both cards have the same downside of basically like you're worried about Anger of the Gods. So at that point, you would prefer Rabble Master because it has the opportunity to kill them faster before Anger of the Gods is a thing, rather than just like, oh, sweep your board. And you're like, well, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, like Legion Warboss like eventually like turns the one ones it's making into two two, so it goes like wider a little bit more effectively. Yeah. But overall I prefer Rabble Master because the clock is faster which rhymes. I think Rolling Vortex is probably the best option. And that's one of those, if you just, like you said, if you have dead cards in the main deck, then you can just be like, yeah, we'll, we'll bring it in. It's something. If the fairy ever gets banned, Burning Earth might be okay. Mm. But against the Soul Tie, in that sense, it might work, but they probably have a way to kill it with like Assassin's Trophy. Burning Earth, for who no- doesn't know, it is a four mana red enchantment that just says whenever a non-basic is tapped for mana, it deals one damage to its controller. Which might be reasonable against Soul Die, but it's obviously kind of trash against the versions with the fairy, because <laughs> it's just going to cost you way too much time. Yeah. From green, the main thing we have is just have threats. If you have a way in your sideboard to go a bit faster, a shifting ceratops, a questing beast, that sort of thing, that's probably what you want to be doing out of a green deck, because it's very hard to interact. Because Wilt is okay, but it's not great. You probably don't want it. Yeah, like, you have to, again, it 
you can ask you can ask yourself about this the same thing for all cyborg cards like we mentioned for extraction effects can you name two or three other decks that you want to bring this in against or at least at least one or two other decks if you can't do you really want it or wilt i just don't even think it's the type of game you want to be playing that's the thing i have with wilt it's a bit narrow it's slow you're like yeah but if i draw two mana i can cycle it but it's like yeah but you're paying two mana to draw a card you want to spend that mana to get them dead if you're playing like a more aggressive green deck the main one I was thinking of is probably just shifting Ceratops, especially for the teamer versions, because it's hard to kill. Because it doesn't die to anger. Um, it's protection, so it can be blocked by Uro, can be blocked by Omnath, can be killed with Expansion Explosion, can be bounced with Teferi. So shifting Ceratops actually is probably a pretty solid card. I think it's an underrated card. Unfortunately, it's basically a five-mana play if you want to haste it in. So that's the unfortunate thing. Yes. We don't have particular colorless cards to note. We do have some multicolored cards, being three fairy, because it shuts down Wilderness Reclamation. Uh, at least it shuts down the usage of extra mana, bar, Shark Typhoon, and Castle Activations. But it shuts down most of the Reclamation plays. Uh, Dovin's Veto, I mean, if Negate's good, Dovin's Veto's good. Dovin's Veto is better. And a card I've been harping on about for like a decade, it feels like now, Notion Thief. Notion Thief is phenomenal. And when you bring it like to your local game store, you hope to be the person that teaches your opponent Notion Thief exists. Like they're going to ex- tap out to expansion you for like 12. You're going to flash in a Notion Thief and it's going to be like, guess I have to hold up a counter spell every time I do this now. And the answer is, you should. I have won a fair amount of games against Teamer reclama- uh, Four Color Reclamation and they have all literally all been off the back of Notion Thief. Once that card sticks, if your, your opponent's deck, almost every card says draw a card. All those cards are stop being playable. It's much worse than Narset. Like, they can't even, like, cast a Grove Spiral in your turn. It just doesn't work. They can't attack with Uro, because it doesn't even deny them to draw. It even gives you a draw. So they're not even going to attack with Uro. Like, their Uro suddenly can't attack. Their Grove Spiral can never be cast. Their expansion is not a card, unless it does the damage to kill you. So, phenomenal. I run three, just for these matchups. It's so good. And it's a blowout with Commit to Memory, but hey. Alright, the next deck we're going to talk about is Burn. Boros Burn, but for a lot of these cards, you can just sub in F if it's Mono Red Aggro. One card I'll name in the white slot is actually in a complete blowout against Mono Red, uh, which is even funnier. So, White Skyclave Cleric, I talked about in the top 10. It's the land creature that is a 2-mana 1-3 that gains you 2 life when it comes in. Very nice roadblock against Mono Red or Boros Burn. Probably something that is more a card that you should fit in your deck if you're playing a Burn aggro heavy meta. It's not an impactful enough card, to generally put in a sideboard. Like, you always want your sideboard cards to be much swingier, and Skyclave Cleric isn't particularly swingy. It's just solid. And the fact that you can squeeze it into your mana base makes it a nice include if you're playing in, like, a burn-heavy meta. But I wouldn't recommend, like, putting a playset in your sideboard. Like, you're probably wasting your slots. In that same vein is the card Revitalize, often memed about, but was actually played a fair amount in Standard. 
I think about a year ago, when I lost a lot of aggro going around in standard. Uh, two mana, gain three life, draw a card, and instant speed. Again, if you're playing a blue-white control deck in a burn-heavy meta, you could consider this card. So I didn't want to not mention it, but it's not the impactfulness that like a mystical dispute against a blue deck is, right? Like It's not that type of impactful. Now, what is an impactful card? And it's much more effective against Mono Red than it is against Boros, but it's still phenomenal against Boros. It's Fiend Slayer Paladin. I had to read this card out to Brad. Uh, I'm not blaming him for it because it's it's from Magic 2014, so it's just about Pioneer Legal. It's three mana, one white white for a 2 2 human knight with first strike and lifelink, which is about the best two keywords you can have against Mono Red Aggro or Boros. But here's the kicker. Fiendslayer Paladin can't be the target of black or red spells your opponents control. Can't shock it, can't stomp it, can't wizards lightning it, and it's going to eat all your X2s and X1s. The only answer to this is Chain to the Rocks, which, depending on your deck, might not even be a card that they brought in. Like, if you're playing like a white weenie-style strategy... There is no way that they bring in Chain to the Rocks if all they're dealing with is, like, dauntless bodyguards, right? And if Rakdos Pyromancer ends up becoming a, a, a big deck again, that this is, uh, this is a big feels-bad against them. Oh, yeah, oops. Against Mono Red, they don't even have Chain to the Rocks. So it's just, it's just lights out. Especially because this, this is the type of the card. Burn Heavy Meta, you're playing, like, Ors of Humans, just put four in your sideboard. And your matchup against Mono Red are effectively free. Because this card is just so good against them. The only downside, it's black or red spells, so not abilities, so they could kid it with Big Chandra. But whatever, right? Give or take, sometimes it happens. You just Dauntless Bodyguard this or something, right? And it's just, what are you going to do? The only downside about this in uh, Humans that I was thinking about, we talked about this when we were discussing this card earlier. Uh, before the cast and you were mentioning like this big brain thing where it's like you bring it in this matchup for against Boros Burn and yeah they can bring in Chain of the Rocks but like they don't know you're bringing this card in and assuming you're lower to the curve they're just going to be like why would I bring Chain of the Rocks against these one mana cards or two mana cards so then you bring this in and they don't bring Chain of the Rocks so you can kind of essentially steal game two and especially considering if you won game one cool um, and then you've already forced some game three to end up bringing in those with humans. You're already running bigger stuff like Loxodon, and then you have Kudro. So Chain of the Rocks is maybe a little bit more attractive in that matchup. So they might already have it available for game two. Yeah, true. Now that's that's 40 chess bullshit. So don't worry about it too much. <laughs> well, what I do like about this in Ors of in a deck like Ors of Humans is that Ors of Humans can work with counters with your Loxodon with your um, Sky... What is it? The two-mana 1-1 one, one that puts counters on it from Zendikar Rising? Yeah, Luminar, Luminar Aspirin. Uh, if you put some counters on this, it becomes even grosser. Like, if you make this a 3-3, three, three, like, the difference in what it kills, what it blocks, etc., is huge. And once this gets to, like... Ah, yes. And once this gets to being a 5-5, five, five, it wouldn't even be killed by Chandra, and it is now literally unkillable by... Uh, mono red aggro so fiend slayer paladin really sweet card so moving on to blue against burn you're basically just like aether gusting 
And there's not many cards out of blue that are like particularly great otherwise. I mean, Aethergust is a fantastic card, so what do you want? But there's no particular blowout cards that I would feel like are great. Like, even though it's a card that's not seen play, in a burn-heavy meta, I if I'm playing like a very burn-heavy meta and I'm like trying to meta game, I would probably not even like bring in a card like Spellpierce, right? Because it's just not good enough. I'd almost be more tempted to put a card like Lassitep Plating. But even that is like... Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like creatures. If there's anything that's like a, a relevant blocker early on. Oh, oh, of course it is. Cerulean Drake. Yeah. Cerulean Drake is a two mana 1-1 one, one flyer with pro red. And I believe you can sack it to prevent a red source from dealing damage. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good one. Yeah, so this is what we're saying. We were going to forget cards, but we caught this one. Oh, Sacrifice Cerulean Drake, counter target spell that targets you. So if they're ignoring your Drake and they're going in for Boros Charm, now they're not. Yeah, Cerulean Drake. That would be um that would be but still Cerulean Drake being a two mana one one just with pro red, this would still be coming out of like a mono blue deck. The moment you're in like blue white or bant or simic, you've got better cards. But playing like a mono blue tempo deck, for example, like if you're just a really big fan of mono blue tempo. You could consider Cerulean Drake, I think, once you slap on like a Curious Obsession. Modern Temple feels like a deck that can do great things against uh, Burn because you have the option of running um, Tempest Gen. That's just a, a, a big, big boy. Yeah. I prefer Cerulean Drake then. Well, you're probably main decking Tempest Gen though. Oh, yeah, but that's if you're really like playing like the more mono blue aggro like in standard. If I play mono blue tempo now, I think I would be on like. A whole bunch of one drops, Sea Dasher Octopus plus Curios, uh, Curious Obsession gives you eight Curiosity effects. And I would just be one drops, Curiosity effects counters. So I wouldn't bother with the three drop. Ooh, then you have Brazen Borrower that can't block anything, but you can at least bounce things. That can be relevant sometimes. I'm getting Brad excited to play Mono Blue Tempo. Oh no, I, I've played it in Pioneer. It's garbage. Oh. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so, I have the deck. I have, I have the entire core behind me. It's in a box where it belongs. In a box. That's a control player, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna spell pierce your Nikki B. <laughs> like no. <laughs> Alright, so moving on for black. Black has some nice ones. Uh specifically for burn, especially collective brutality is great. Yes. Collective brutality is such a great tempo card because it can really take a slow deck and really improve its uh matchup. Like turning your like five or six drop into a drain two is something you definitely want to be doing against Burn, right? All the modes on Collective Brutality are bad, but because you can do all of them, it's great, right? Because you can go for, like, you can keep an opening hand, and I've I've had this, maybe even, like, in, in Modern, right? You're playing, you're playing Modern, and in Pioneer you have similar things. You're playing Control, because obviously I did, and my hand would be, like, two lands, Fatal Push, Collective Brutality, and two Cryptic Command. And I'm up against Burn, and I've already mulliganed, and I'm like on the draw. And being able to turn my four mana spells, or maybe one of them, depending on what I draw, into a play now is so good uh, for the tempo in this matchup. Because there's cards in this format, and we're going to talk about like one of them being like, uh, I could spoil now, Enter the God Eternals. That it's like, you just need to get there. And once you've reached that point, and with something like Collective Brutality, you can like stumble, nickel and dime your way there as long as you actually make it. And Collective Brutality is great for that. Then there's Kalidus, another big card you can just get to. You could play Vampires, and it's a 3-drop. Play Vampires. 
Ooh, in the in the same vein, um, it, I'm only going to mention it because the next two, the next card is going to be another vampire as well. I'm going to go with the third vampire, the uh, Blood Baron of Escopa. If you're in the Orzov splashy, oh yes, from the multicolored section, but that's that's a very good one. Blood Baron of Escopa is gross. Yeah, it kind of has a Fiend Slayer Paladin jam going on. Yeah, for those who don't know, it's a uh, it's a five mana, so three and then Orzov colors for a four four. With pro uh, white red, or is it black red? I think it is black red. Okay, black red. And then if you have 30 or more life, it gets plus six, plus six, and flying. Oh, it also has lifelink. Yeah. Uh, it only gets plus six, plus six if you have 30 or more life and your opponent has 10 or less life. Which, if you're playing vampires, that's that's doable. I mean, that just sort of means, like, if your opponent's at 10 and you're really winning, now you've actually won. Yay! Like, that's effectively flavor text. But just having, like, the five mana, five, five, flying... Uh, not only flying, but lifelink. Uh, Pro-white, pro-black. Pro-white means they can't chain to the rock sit, so they're going to have to throw two burn spells at it. Which is fantastic for you. And if you're playing vampires, you're playing Soren, so you, you put a counter on it. Um, and then going back into your thing about them being within range, let's say you're at 27 life, which is pretty common if you're dropping down a you know a, a three mana five drop lifelinker like Kalidus or this guy oh yeah and then also when you're going into like smaller things like your Dusklusion zone and things like that and you're slowly chipping away your opponent so you're at 27 they're at 13 you go Dusklusion zealot plus soren sack Dusklusion zealot throw it at your face i wouldn't go Dusklusion zealot because it deals one damage to you now you're at 29 no <laughs> <laughs> No, my my line of play ruined. But you could play Gifted Aetherborn, yeah, which is another card we had on this list, which is just pretty solid, right? It's a two mana, two three Death Touch lifelink. Uh, if you've got some uh, resident mono green Stompy players running around, they're gonna hate this card too. Mm. Again, more of a card that you have in your main. You try and get in your main than a card that is necessarily in your sideboard. It can be. But it probably won't. It's only going to be in your sideboard if you have that type of curve that makes it easy. So uh, this card came up periodically in the sideboard for Rakdos Pyromancer. That was probably the one of the best decks that could use it in the sideboard because it just fit in with what the deck was doing. And uh, that's pretty much what you're going for. Other than that, if you're not playing Vampires. Yeah, and in a matchup where it's good, you could just claim to fame it a few times, right? So that was like a good thing coming out of Rakdos Pyromancer. And another thing that's nice about the card, it's too devotion to black. So it could like you could like squeeze it into a mono black devotion style deck. Now moving on to actually, not moving on, I completely forgot to name a card. And that card is one that I'm a really big fan of, and it's Erebos' intervention, which is just black X. Target creature gets minus X minus X, you gain X life, or it can exile cards from graveyards, which we will talk about more later. So moving on to mono red, well mono red, moving on to red against red. Uh there's two main cards that came to mind, which is Chandra's Defeat and Red Cap Melee, which are very similar. So Chandra's Defeat is one red for five damage to a red creature or planeswalker, and you rummage if you kill a Chandra with it. And Red Cap Melee is one red, deal four damage to any creature. Or a Planeswalker, from the top of my head. I haven't played with this card. Yes. Um, one red, four damage to a creature or a Planeswalker. But if that card isn't red, you have to sacrifice a land. 
So generally, it only comes in against mono red. Niche situations, it comes in against other decks. I've seen people have like one in their sideboard, and then it can come in in more aggro matchups because it might be less of a problem to sacrifice the land. But overall, it's coming in against mono red. And in that sense, or a red deck. And there I prefer Chandra's defeat, which mostly has to do with the recent rise of mono red aggro. So I know we're talking about burn here. But again, a lot of these cards can be substituted in for mono red aggro. And we're also not talking in a vacuum, right? This is always in a context. Now, if you're going to be playing a red deck, let's say you're playing a mono red aggro, and you're against another mono red deck, then there's a very good chance that they're going to be bringing in Chandra Torch of Defiance. And Chandra Torch of Defiance is like a really big card for the mirror, and it's a card that ticks up to five loyalty, so it doesn't actually die to redcap melee. The fact that you get the rummage when you kill a Chandra is cute, but for me it's more the fact that it can immediately kill a Chandra as it's played. And that's where I really like Chandra's defeat. So speaking in the context of we're not just playing against Boros, we're also going to be playing against Mono Red, I would just have Chandra's Defeat ready in my sideboard, rather than Redcap Melee. Uh, also because, uh, well, Redcap Melee has the small upside that it can hit Luris. But if you're playing a red deck, you probably have like a thousand cards in your deck that kill Luris. So it's not the biggest problem. And again, that's assuming you're you're going against Luris, but you this they both can be flexible for both of those decks. And this is a card that you have to really consider in your sideboard where it's like, if the meta in your area, wherever you're playing, whether it's here on the MTGO home Discord server or something similar to that or MT, MTGO, or if you're able to actually safely go out and play at an FNM and your meta is very burn heavy, very red based, then that's when you can play this card. But I think in an open meta, kind of like how we have now, it might be a tad bit too narrow, but you know, Discretion advised. I think it's a card I wouldn't be surprised if I see like a mono red deck. Be like, yeah, I see more and more people playing mono red. I'm running one or two to have the uh, the edge in the mirror. I can see that. A less powerful effect of this similar vein that's a bit more seasonal friendly, in which you don't have to. Uh, it kind of ebb and flows and is available for all seasons. Is um, searing blood. It's two mana as opposed to one, so you can't hit bigger stuff, and obviously you can't hit the Planeswalkers, but this is still an effective card in in the red colors against aggro decks in general. Oh yeah, for sure, because it also burns them. Yeah, card I forgot to note, but 100% good card coming out of red is Searing Blood against other red decks. Because generally, if you're a red deck and you have to put board in red cards to deal with red decks... I'm assuming you're playing mono-red. Yeah. Or a deck that is effectively mono-red. Because if you're splashing any other color, you probably have better options to counter. Yeah, like if you're splashing black, you're probably running a card like Collective Brutality. If you're splashing white, you can put a Fiend Slayer Palette. Well, probably not if you splash it because of the casting cost, but you get what I mean, right? If your deck is also white, you could run Fiend Slayer Palette and that sort of thing. Green has Scavenging O's, which is a great card. Eventually grows too big, gains life, uh, messes up their Luris. Uh, fantastic card for the matchup. A card you're going to have to be a little bit wary of playing. If you have one Scavenging Oosh, you probably don't want to jam it on two if you've got something else to do. Because it can still get shocked, stomped, depending on what flavor of red aggro you're playing against. And this is actually a funny little thing, because for those of you that watched the most recent Pioneer Invitational that Alex and I casted, when we were talking about this exact matchup between four-color Omnath 
and Boros Burn, I brought up, hey, your heart wants you to bring in those scavenging users in the sideboard, but it's a trap because you have cards in your sideboard in the other colors that we're talking about that are just much more effective and the gaining life is kind of negligible in that vacuum. So again, we're saying scavenging users is a good card in this matchup for a deck if you're kind of cornered into that color, if we're talking just broadly green color cards. But if you have a card or if you have a deck that functions on three or four colors, like four color Omnath, then Aether Gust is coming in before Scavenging Use, that kind of thing. Yeah, Magma Spray is probably coming in to just stop the life loss in the first place, right? That sort of thing. Oh, and Magma Spray is one we didn't mention. So Magma Spray is another good red one for the last one. Yes. But I sort of consider that red boarding against red. I'm kind of assuming you're a mono red. But yeah, if you're in a red colors, Magma Spray is good, right? Magma Spray should have been on the list. Magma Spray is, is, one, is much more flexible in other decks so like wilderness wreck might run it yeah no i agree you're uh, you're right i just forgot magma spray which is stupid because i have the great art for it oh it's so good N- another one in green which is a little bit niche and really depends on your deck as life goes on which is one green gain four life if a creature died this turn gain eight life instead very nice card against burn on paper however burn is fairly creature heavy Still, it's called burn, but there's plenty of creatures in. So you can't run cards that just gain you life unless maybe you are very good at interacting with the creatures. Now, a thing that I've run into playing, I mean, Grixis, so I can't play Life Goes On, but there's a similar vein that people might run into, is I've been able to deal with the creatures, but I can't turn the corner quick enough, and at one point I just get burned out the game. Right? At one point I have a hand with like two eliminates, a fatal push... And they just go like top deck a lightning strike, top deck a lightning strike, top deck a Boros charm, and I'm dead. So if you're very good at the creature interaction game, but you're not good at the please don't burn me out game, then I can see life goes on being a good card for you. Otherwise, I would probably leave it out of my sideboard. I have one green card to add, but there's going to be a nice, bold, and italicized asterisk next to it. Okay. Elder Gargaroth. If you are in a deck that can cheat it out before turn five, that card's great. If you if you can get it out earlier, you there's argument that like maybe okay, let's say on turn five and like they're not going super wide and you have you get it down, that's a great blocker, and then you block, you choose gain three life. You can argue that on curve it's good enough, but that's that threshold of turn five against burn is so such a toss-up. You're so close to dead, more often than not. So you have to be in the right deck. Yeah. The the worry with Gardaroff can be, if you have to fairly cast it, they've been hitting you with creatures, you play the Gargaroth, they untap, they burn you out. And your Gargaroth hasn't done anything. That's the worry with Gargaroth. But again, if you're playing maybe like Sultai mid-range, you go turn 2 Seder Wayfinder, turn 3 Uro, turn 4 Gargaroth... It's probably early enough. In counting interaction, like let's say a fatal push available to you, eliminate or magnus ray if you're in, you know, teamer colors, things like that. If you have the way to kind of put those roadblocks in front of you to keep you alive, turns one through four, and get Gargaroth down, turns four or five, you have a pretty good chance of making this card be like, I win the game. Yeah. Moving on to colorless cards, Aether Sphere Harvester. If your deck is comfortable crewing it, the card's great. It will end up gaining you six life. Afterwards, it's a 3-5 blocker, which is great. Especially 
if you have cards that say they can't block. Like, it can enable a, a Scrap Heap Scrounger to block, or a Blood Soak Champion to block, which is a fantastic thing about vehicles anyway, and the fact that Aetherswear Harvester is so easy to crew and is such a good blocker is a very nice combination. But Alex, what about Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot? No. <laughs> we just talked about that cards shouldn't just gain you life. Also, <laughs> unless you've got better things to do. And so you also have to be in green <laughs> for it to work. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, uh, food tokens. <laughs> the, the egg. The egg thing. <laughs> Ginger brew. Ginger yeah, brew. Yay. Ginger brew. Perfect. <laughs> three mana. Gain three life. Counterspell, baby. That's a three mana counterspell. <laughs> that is the that is the loosest definition of a counterspell I've ever heard in my life. I mean, you could argue that revitalize is a counterspell against uh, a red deck. It's just a two mana counterspell. You counter their... You, they... At least it's instant speed. Like, it still draws you a card. Like... Yeah. So is so so is uh, so is uh, uh, the gingerbread boy. No, because they see it coming. <laughs> so they could just they could just hold up the skull crack. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot that they played that card. All right, so moving into multicolored cards, it's going to be a lot of the ones you know: Uro, Omnath, Oath of Kaya. We've seen this. One I wanted to add, which I mentioned earlier, is Enter the God Eternals, mm. a card we've recently seen in Demir or Demir base lists, sometimes and often over Kalidus, mostly because this card has an immediate impact and Kalidus doesn't. Yes. Kalidus, they could see it coming from a mile away, right? If you have at one point had the ability to generate a black mana, they're bringing in Chain to the Rocks because you might be running Kalidus. Then you're going to be like tapping out on turn four, being like, ha I've drawn my Kalidus, play my four mana Kalidus. They're like, Chain to the Rocks, you're dead. Oh, and Enter the God Eternals comes down a turn later, but has that immediate impact. And milling yourself probably is going to fuel some of your shenanigans too. Yeah, the only downside with it is, is it's it's a similar issue that we have with Elder Gargaroth. If you're not cheating it out early, five mana is that threshold. The upside though that it has over Gargaroth, the immediate gain is um, the immediate gain for life, and you still get a four four body in front that they do have to most likely or unless they're running Lava Coil, um, then you they have to double spell it to get through. So there's that. It's harder to cast in the colors that it is versus uh, Gargaroth just being double green, but, you know, whatever. Pros and cons either way. Yeah, moving on, we're going to be talking about Oops All Spells. Well, not a boogeyman in the format. Yeah. But funnily enough, we actually came up with quite a few cards. Moving into white, we've got, obviously, Rest in Peace, a very obvious one. Bygone Bishop which is the uh, Tormod script on a body. And the upside is, is that if you're coming out of a white aggressive deck, let's say spirits, because it is a spirit, in fact, or even just like Ors of Humans, if you want to have like an answer in this vein, it's still a, a creature in the meantime. So it's clocking them, which means as opposed to like playing a Tormod script, this card is forcing them to either still try and go off, which they really can't, or they have to like more aggressively try and find an answer, like something in those in that vein, makes it like we we've seen this a lot in Magic, like let's say like the past decade. We've seen effects that already exist, and then they get put on a body. And if you have enough of those cards, you get death in Texas. But like the idea of having hate cards on a body is always like quite effective. 
Because even though it is easier to interact with, it does mean that it's actually clocking your opponent. Because, like, hate cards aren't forever, right? Uh, a Thalia tax is not going <laughs> to... I see Brad laughing. Um, a Thalia tax isn't going to matter once your opponent has eight lands, right? So you need to get the game over with. And that's what um, Bygone Bishop does too. And the other white card we're going to mention is Containment Priest. Mm. Now, Containment Priest is really nice because you're going to have to take the 12, which is kind of painful from the Creeping Chills being milled over. But afterwards, if you play this, it just says that if creatures, non-token creatures, enter the battlefield and they weren't cast, they get exiled. So, no Narc Amoeba, no Silver Smote Ghoul, no Sprites Amalgam, no nothing. Which is really great. Yeah, so that's a card that's not played hardly at all in Pioneer. So, it's interesting that we haven't seen it pop up yet. It was only reprinted in M21. Before that, it was not even modern legal before M21. No, it was not, which which is super cool that we have it too. But, I don't know, it's one of those cards that we felt like would have done more damage right off the bat but you could also argue that pioneer has not quite had a deck that just cheats stuff out that you want containment priest against until oops all spells came out the main problem we've heard with people playing this card is that it doesn't deal with uro because even though uro comes from the graveyard it is still being cast yeah which is the weird thing about escape do you think escape would be better if it was technically not a cast it just wouldn't work. Like, I don't see how rules-wise the mechanic would work if it wasn't a cast. Mm. Like, you could say, well, it just gets put on the battlefield. And it's like, yeah, that works for every card that's a permanent. What if it's a suspend kind of thing? I mean, suspend... Well, the only problem is, it might even at one point be better, because that means you can't counter it. If a spell isn't cast, that means you can't counter it. Yeah. But then you would be able to stifle them. It, I think it would get very weird rules implications it wouldn't work with instant and sorceries really you're gonna like give suspend to an instant like it kind of defeats the purpose of it being an instant right so like i think it would make the mechanic really weird yeah and this right here is why i am not envious of play design and card design they have to figure it out all the time and they're sitting there i imagine they're in a they're in a boardroom or a zoom call lately uh just like alex and i are right now and uh just be like what if it did this? And they're like, that would be a bad idea. <laughs> Here's why. And then they're like, oh, but it, it has so much potential. And then they're like, you know what, Craig, do it anyway. And that's how Ura was born. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on to blue, the main thing we came up with blue is just counter magic in general. The deck is fairly weak to counter magic unless they have savage summonings. Yes. But savage summoning still only works for the creatures. If they run, which has been the more popular one now, if they run Eldritch Evolution, Neoform part, you can just counter that with a good old-fashioned negate. Or Mystical Dispute, even. Like, even though Mystical Dispute, obviously, is most effective against blue cards, and it's really only Neoform that's blue in the deck that you're looking to counter, Mm -hmm. Mana Leak's fine, too, right? Especially because the deck plays so many tapped lands. Your your three-mana Mana Leak is going to stay relevant for a very long time. The only like asterisk to this is you don't want to bring in too many negates. You don't want to be the guy that brings in three negates, has all three in their opening hands, and then gets killed by a balustrade spy on turn three. Like that would suck. You have to try and balance that. So generally, bringing like one or two negate is probably fine. If you're trying to 
being if you're a blue deck and you're trying to interact with this deck, you should most likely be looking at your other colors if you have them. Like, don't try and like, oh, I'm just gonna put like a bunch of essence scatters and negates in my deck, you know, and I'll be golden. You won't be. It takes way you're dirtling too long. The deck can, especially now that it is the eighty card deck, they have like twelve attempts at going off. Right, they're gonna resolve one, and you die the moment they do. So you're trying to look for different hate cards, which it's almost like it feels like blue might be the weakest color actually against oops all spells. Oddly enough, out of the five, yeah, especially with savage summoning, they can figure their way out. One that I do like, which is a blue card, but it is unbelievably niche, is uh, War of Invention, which is only an artifact deck, which are that probably immediately means you're playing jank if War of Invention is in your deck. But War of Invention can just be an instant speed Tormoth script or Soul Guide Lantern, which they might just not see coming. Right? They think like, oh, I'm playing against a blue deck. I'm gonna like savage summoning in my Balustrade Spy. And then you just go, cool, war, grab a Tormod script, you lose. Congrats, Alex. Your Power Stone Shard uh, combo has a 100% win rate against Oopsal Spells. Hooray! I have, not against Oopsal Spells, but I have done this against very similar decks, and it feels... Yep, but unfortunately, you're at a 20% win rate as a whole deck, so... The deck is surprisingly okay. It is unbelievably mediocre. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's not bad. The games where you go off, it's it's fun. I've I've been in those uh, those games with you, and I'm just like, it does what now? <laughs> you're like, you're walking through the combo the first time. You're just like, oh, I think I think it was against your Kethis deck when it was still a thing. Yeah, we. I word for a Soul Guide Lantern, and you were like, oh, yeah. Guess I'm gonna have to find an answer to this first. Yeah, it was Kethis. You played against it once. I I played against that deck on a few of my different decks. So Kethis was one. Uh, Rakdos Pyromancer. It's my, it's like my go-to chill deck, even though it's a combo deck, but the math gets fairly easy if you've done it often enough. Yeah. And it's also, I, I laugh at the fact that I'm getting slapped in by robots. Like, that that's fun. <laughs> Beep boop, you dead now. Oh, Mr. Krabs. <laughs> and that's the million of them. <laughs> um, moving on to Black. Now, Black has some nice answers. So the first one you're probably going to be thinking of is Leyline. Yeah. And Thoughtseize, again. Thoughtseize is obviously good. They're bringing it in too. Also another point that can be bad against... So here's an interesting like dynamic. They bring in Thoughtseize. And what we've seen recently is people trying to play hate that isn't permanent-based. And Black has some nice ones. In my opinion, the best and easiest one in that regard is Erebos' Intervention. Now, this speaks, and we're going to be talking about this with another card later, uh, multiple actually, is that people have started attacking this deck by attacking the world spine worms, which sounds funny, but they try and mill over their deck, and the world spine worms are the only cards to get shuffled back in the deck because yeah. that's how they work. When they enter the graveyard, they get shuffled in. So, with the trigger on the stack, because it's a trigger to shuffle it back in the library, obviously, if you play an Erebos' intervention for X equals one, you get to exile two cards from a graveyard. You just exile the World Spine Worm and leave them without a deck. There are multiple ways to go about this. So you can either you can cling to dust them twice because casting cling to dust and then escaping it is five mana. If you're playing a deck that plays cling to dust, you might be playing a slower deck. Through your counter magic, your interaction, you might have been able to keep them busy till the point where you have five mana. 
and now cling to dust, escape, cling to dust, gets you there. Perfect. Erebos intervention is that works in that regard. Um, but that also means that extraction effects, which we've talked about earlier, are also very nice. Because they go off, shuffle in their world spine worms, pass the turn to you. You untap, have your turn, cast an extraction effect, name world spine worm, exile their library. And they're not playing inverter, so it's a bad idea if their entire library is exiled. Yep. And they lose. That's like the different dynamic that has been like going on trying to attack this deck, with the only downside being is that you can get thought seized. Right? The other hate has the problem you played on the battlefield and now it's there, vulnerable. But your hand isn't safe either. But what I like about this approach, playing like the hate you keep in your hand, uh, Shadow's Verdict works for this too, by the way. Because Shadow's Verdict just exiles everything they have on the field and everything they have in the yard. Yeah. So they do their thing, pass to you, you Shadow's Verdict, and everything everything leaves. It's perfect. I think the only exception to it is Haunted Dead. I think that's a four drop. So they can start doing Haunted Dead. Yeah, because Haunted Dead, all they have to do is they um, they have a card in hand. And even if they have both World Spine Worms in hand, you can just Haunted Dead, discard both of them, back to the library. Haunted Dead comes out, and they can just continuously do this loop over and over again with Haunted Deads, unless you have a way to exile them. Can't you just keep the Haunted Dead alive? Like, if you can take a couple of hits from the Haunted Dead... They have more than one Haunted Dead, though, right? It's not like they're just wanting... I thought it was usually one Haunted Dead. If they have more than one, you never have the time to do that. Yeah, they should be running more than one. I don't see why they wouldn't. Because then if you get that loop, you just... Because I've seen games with Oops All Spells where they have to be in that loop, and that's how they win. It takes them forever, but, like, they... uh, they eventually get there because you can't deal with it. Sort of. If, if you're running Airbus Intervention and stuff like that, like we're mentioning, then, you know, good for you. You, you. you won if they're in that loop position. But what, what I like, finishing my point quickly, about the answers you keep in your hand is that, yes, they're vulnerable to Thought Seize, but Thought Seize is like a sort of like a snapshot card, right? They Thought Seize you on turn one, but then you still get to draw stuff. Or the worst one, they Thought Seize you, Ghost is clear, and then you top deck your extraction effect ta-da and you still win the game and because they're playing an 80 card deck they don't draw as many thought seizes as they would if they were a 60 card deck but if you play soul guide lantern early it's gonna have to sit there for like five or six turns where they can evolution for a reclamation sage or they can natural state it abrupt decay it assassin's trophy it pithing needle your soul guide lantern so it's out there being vulnerable for quite a while Whereas in your hand, even though they're not safe because of Thoughtseize, they are safer. And if they Thoughtseize your Cling to Dust, you could still escape it. However, that takes a lot of cards and a lot of mana. So that's not very reliable, but it could work if the game goes particularly long. Going into red, we talked about, uh, well, before the cast, we talked about this. Roiling Vortex yep. is a very nice card. It's not perfect, however... If you're playing something like Mono Red Aggro or Burn, using Roiling Vortex to stop the 12 life gain swing is, first of all, once they drain you for 12, you're probably never going to be able to burn them out. What it also means is because they didn't gain life, the Silver Smote Ghouls don't come back. So if they have a Narc Amoeba, it's still going to have to be Narc Amoeba and Priced Amalgams, which is quite the board to deal with. But it is a manageable board. Like, if you're playing Mono Red Aggro, means post-board you have access to uh, Chain Whirler. If you have a Soul Scar Mage in play, they go off, 
you stop their life gain, and then you play a Chain Whirler, you kill the Narc Amoeba, and all the Amalgams become 2-2s. That's probably a board you can manage, and once you've dealt with that board, you're literally left to deal with Haunted Dead, which is not particularly difficult if you're mono-red, right? You're going to be able to power through that. So Roiling Vortex means that you can, like, prevent half their combo, and you might be able to power through the other half, which makes the card quite nice. Yeah. There's another one for red that, again, this one is another one with an asterisk on it. It works in a very specific situation. Collective Defiance. So Collective Defiance is three mana, one double red, and you have Escalate one. Choose one or more. And the big one here is target player discards all cards in his or her hand, then draws that many cards. This only works specifically if, like the extraction effect, where you go, you they mill their entire deck, pass to you after the World Spy Worms go back to the uh, library. They have to have minimum three cards in hand for this to work. Isn't it two? Because they just replace their hand and they only have to draw the World Spine Worms and then they just lose in their up. Oh, then they could do Haunted Dead shenanigans. Yeah, so it has to be three, so they immediately deck. But I mean, if you wheel them, it'll just be in their hand. But you need to be able to stop them from having Haunted Dead to get them in. So yeah, so it has to be three, so they immediately lose the game on the spot and they can't have two mana up because then they can do Haunted Dead. Yeah, so if you have the ability to play black, Extraction Effect is better, but this is a card you can keep in mind. Actually, it doesn't even matter if they have two mana up, because the Collective Defiance just resolves in one go, mm-hmm. as long as they have three cards. It's just going to be, discard, you draw, you lose. And you don't get a moment to interact. So as long as they have three cards in hand, Collective Defiance is just a three mana, I win the game. No, you're right. Yeah. Which might be the reason it's seeing like this four-off play in all these mono-red decks, because it's... maybe I haven't played this, but seeing all these mono-red decks do well with Collective Defiance, card might be a lot better than I'm thinking. It might be a lot more common for them to go off and have three cards in their hand. Yeah, makes sense. And I mean, in a pinch, you could always target yourself if you're like feeling really bad about your hand. Yeah, if you're trying to find your hate. But yeah, I think that's a, a decent one against uh, that one. Yeah, Collective Defiance, I think, is pretty solid. Again, more of a card you have to build your deck around for it to just be there, rather than a card you board in. I wouldn't be keen on boarding in Collective Defiance, but if your mono-red deck can support it... We saw it with Inverter being around that this is a good one to board in, but yeah, it, it, it looks like a more main deckable option now, as opposed to the board option. Yeah, I think in Inverter they were doing a very similar thing, right? Yep, pretty much. People invert, so they have like a one or two card library, and then you just wheel them and they lose yeah which is actually a pretty interesting dynamic that all these weird inverter uh oops all spells decks have brought up this is like a very unique way to attack decks we haven't seen in like a long time what have i been saying alex oops all spells is basically inverter now and look at that one of their number one hated cards out of red is collective defiance (laughs) moving on to green is scavenging ooze for the same reason they can't go off if you have scavenging ooze and two green mana yeah. So you're kind of like pointing a gun at them, and it's like, deal, deal with my scavenging ooze, or you can't do anything, right? Freeze. And then they're like, bush, crap. You just let the world spy worms hit the yard. You have two green mana open. Exile, exile. Triggers on the stack, exile them. Yeah. Easy peasy. And then any green mana you have left, you just exile uh, copies of Creeping Chill to take less damage. Now, the only downside about scavenging ooze is the fact that obviously Oops All Spells is in green, black, uh, blue. So they're in Sultai colors. They have access to things like Fatal Push if they want to play it, or they like you've mentioned these two cards numerous times: Assassin's Trophy and Abrupt Decay. Mythic Needle too. It's an activated ability. 
Yeah. So in that regard, scavenging ooze is much more easily hated out and kind of counterable in that sense, but still a good card if it sticks and they you basically put them in a position that they have to kill it first before they can go off. And that one or two mana they spend to kill it could set them a turn or two behind um, on actually going off on turn four if they want to. And I do also like the idea, I mean, you need a lot of open mana for this, but might not be too bad. It's a card you could like Coco or Court of Calling into too. That's true. So a bit like in the War of Invention idea, there is this play to it where you might be able to do something cute with it. If you're playing a very toolboxy deck, Scavenging Ooze can be very good. Yeah, if you're playing mono green like Stompy, uh, and that's running Coco, you're probably running Elves. So if you go turn four, where you have four lands out, because that's when they go off and they play it, and then you Coco in, you still have your, probably an Elf or two available for mana. So there's your extra green mana there for the World Spine Worms. So, you know, it's, it's that's doable. Yeah, that could work. Colorless cards, I mean, Soul Guide Lantern and Graph Digger's Cage, we have talked about this extensively on previous episodes. Multicolored, we have Athreos, Hound of Kurinos. I think it's Kurinos. Is it Kurinos, Hound of Athreos? Yes, you're correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, like, Kurinos isn't a god. And then you're like, but Athreos is. Okay. I am not good at my Theros mythology, excuse me. I only know Kurinos because I like drawing cards and lightning bolting cards. Which is just Graph Digger's Cage on legs. So it's good because Graph Digger's Cage is good. It's it's Graph Digger's Cage on three heads. Thank you very much. <laughs> also legs. I guess I guess Diagraph Colossus is the real Graph Digger's Cage on legs because it's literally Graph Digger's Cage on legs. And the other one is Ashiok, and it's actually both three mana Ashioks. But Ashiok Dream Render from War of the Spark is the one people would actually play. And again, it has that same idea with the extraction effects. They go off. You untap Ashiok target them it will mill them but also immediately exile the graveyard so even though the world spine worms technically hit the graveyard they don't get shuffled back in i know this because it also doesn't it triggers narcomoeba but you cannot put narcomoeba onto the battlefield Mm -hmm. it's part of resolution it's mill exile in one go yeah it's not a split second yeah so that could also be a card that works also uh available in mono blue Right, we talked about Mono Blue having issues with this. However, Ashiok Dream Render is hybrid, so it is available in a Mono Blue deck or a Blue Green deck or something. Where you're like, I don't like Scavenging Ooze, or Scavenging Ooze doesn't fit my deck, or it's hard for me to hold up so much green mana. Ashiok might be a better option for you. Moving on to Mono Green Walkers, because we're gonna have to we're gonna have to either speed this up or cut it up in two. Which in about half an hour, when we wrap up the episode, you'll know what we're gonna do. Mono Green Planeswalkers. Going out of white, Skycliff Apparition, whoop whoop, what a surprise. Pretty much every relevant card in their deck is 4 mana or less. The only exception being Elder Gargaroth. And Chopdown, I had in, which is Chopdown and Giant Killer, which is good at dealing with the big cards, but again, more a card that is good to keep in mind when it fits your deck, which is the main one I'm thinking of as Ors of Humans. That's the only one where Chopdown slash... Uh, giant killer has actually seen play so in that deck we're coming out of a white weenie strategy good card a card you might be able to squeeze into your deck if it's relevant to your meta but not a card i would put in your sideboard also because i believe these have been um effects that are printed on cards 
so you don't need the uh, giant's killer attached to it. I forgot what it's called. I believe it's called Valorous Stance or something, which I believe is a two-mana instant that kills a big creature. Going to uh, blue, the, the counter package. You've heard it when we talked about Niv. Uh, Aethergust, Negate, Disdainful Stroke. Counter magic in general, that jazz. Negate, again, has kind of a similar issue that don't bring in too many negates. However, the majority of their imported threats are actually Planeswalkers. So they're known creatures. The elves, you don't really care. Voracious Hydra and Elder Gargaroth. If you're playing any capacity of removal, you can kill those because they don't immediately impact the board, and the Planeswalkers are the main cards that matter. So... Here I would say, if you have three or four negate, if you somehow end up with four negate in your sideboard, I would be relatively comfortable boarding all of them in. But at least three. I think four is going a bit much, but I don't think you'll ever end up with... Well, some people have four Dovin's Veto, right? So depending on the how your deck looks, you could probably be okay with four Dovin's Veto, where I would be less comfortable with that playing against something like Niv. Not sure if I'd want four Dovin's Veto. Maybe you do. Again, very much depends on the construction of your deck as a whole. Moving on to black, Fatal Push and Thoughtseize. What a surprise! We mention this literally every time we talk about mono green. Fatal Push and Thoughtseize are very good here. The big difference, though, is that, uh, yeah, they're amazing against this deck. We saw that uh, firsthand when we watched the sixth season of the Pioneer Invitational that we casted, where Sir Epic went against our one and only Matt who was on Mono Green Walkers while Sir Epic was on Rakdos Pyromancer. And the thing we prefaced the most in that matchup, which eventually did go to Epic, was Fatal Push, Thoughtseize, absolutely dumpsters Mono Green Planeswalkers. Yeah. If you are in black and there is a lot of uh, Mono Green in your meta, combination of some in your main, some in your side, you should probably be able to go up again, uh, go up to like seven out of eight between push and thoughtsies. Preferably just 8 out of 8, play set of each. They're good cards anyway. You're probably going to be hanging around a play set anyway of each. Make sure you have like 7 or 8 post board. And Rankle again, I think is notable in this matchup too. Yeah, uh, flying over can be very important to pressure a very planeswalker heavy deck. But in it's best in tandem with Fatal Push and Thoughtseize. Yes, yes. Like This is not separating the three. These are all three unison. Especially because you have to be able to either prevent or make sure that Gargaroth doesn't land because it has the secret reach that like every green card has. Mm-hmm. And Voracious Hydra can kill it very quickly, but you can just kill Voracious Hydra with push. Yeah. So problem solved. Even trade. Noxious Grasp, another card that goes great with your rankle because it just destroys a green creature or planeswalker, which is everything that isn't card. Wait, 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 wait. And you gain a life. Uh, yes. <laughs> the the 20 turn Llanowar Elf Clock is now a 21 turn Llanowar Elf Clock. We got there. I mean, I've been taken to like two life before by a Llanowar Elf. I mean, when I was playing Arena uh, in Standard when Noxious Grass was like everywhere because reasons, and I would cast it, kill something, and for the longest time, I had no idea that it gained you one life until one day I was playing with it. I killed something. I watched my life tick up and I was like, what did I just do? Why did I, what? I'm, I'm, still, I'm looking through their graveyard. I'm like, is it a, is it a clause effect when they die? Your opponent gains a life. That's weird. Why would they put that on a, on a card? 
went through my graveyard, just skimmed over Noxious Grass. I'm like, it's not that. I'm like going through everything. Three turns pass. I'm still trying to figure it out. And I finally look at Noxious Grass and I read the whole thing. And I was like, oh, you gained a life. Why? Why? I don't get it. Weird. But the clock might be relevant. I remember in Standard playing against Blue White God Pharaoh's Gift. And I played a best of three, and I think I ended up taking about 35 damage from Sacred Cat. <laughs> because I could deal with everything else except the stupid 1-1. One, one. <laughs> uh, that card is so cool. Bring back Embalm. I mean, we'd have to go back to Amonkhet for that. They actually did the Storm scale for it, and they said it was like a 6. But a 4 if we're on Amonkhet. Embalm's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Black, another card we can mention is Blight Beetle. Pro green, and it means counters can't be put on creatures. I believe this doesn't work against Nyssa, but it works against Vivian, it works against Voracious Hydra. Because I believe Nyssa puts counters on the lands and then makes them creatures. Yeah, it depends if the way the wording is makes it happen simultaneously, which I don't think it does. No, I think it puts counters on a land and then turns it into... Otherwise it would die to state-based actions by being a 0-0 zero, zero before... Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, you're right. Because yeah, it goes put three, three, or put three plus one plus one counters on a land... Uh, non-creature land you control, untap it, and then both these sentences have periods at the end of them, and then it says it becomes a zero zero. So it becomes a zero after the uh, uh, tokens land. So feels bad about Nissa, but you know that's why you're running uh, Thoughtseize to just Noxious get grass. that. Oh yeah, and Noxious Grass just be like, no, get out of here. And then you Rankle, and then you choose Sack on Rankle, and you Sack their land. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on to red, we've got Shock, which is good at killing the elves. Uh, so if your deck incorporates Shock, you'll probably want to be able to mulligan to that in order to kill the elf, yeah. buying yourself a turn. Uh, Searing Blood, mostly on the play, because again, if you're on the play, you go land, they go elf, I go land Searing Blood, which means I've killed the elf before it's done anything. If I'm on the draw, the elf will have made the mana before I can kill it, Yeah, which just makes Searing Blood significantly worse. A Braid is a card you can consider. Kills the Dorks. Again, that is only on the play, but can also kill whatever comes of Karn, because it generally pulls up... Well, it's going to pull up Artifact. It can kill Nyssa lands. It can kill a small Hydra if they're about to double it, but that has to be a really small Hydra. But Hydra X equals 2 to double it to a 4-5 is definitely the type of thing they do against the red deck in order to just be that roadblock. And a braid can deal with that too. Mm. And a blood, I mean, the it's it's nice if you go monster swift spear turn one again on the play, get in for nineteen. They play elf, untap, kill the elf. They take three, go to sixteen, get in with two, go to fourteen. So you did six damage in two turns. That that's a nice, great start for red. And you killed a creature. That is like the dream start. And not even just a creature. One of the most important starts. A very important creature. Yeah. Going to green which is Hunt the Hunter, which is a very cool card. It gives a green creature you control plus two plus two, mm. then makes it fight a green creature your opponent controls. This was played at the start of Pioneer when pretty much everyone was a mono green devotion. Because if you're on the play, if you're playing a mirror, you go turn one Llanowar Elf, they go Llanowar Elf, you play Hunt the Hunter, kill their Llanowar Elf, and yours is still there. Which kind of has a similar idea of like playing a voracious Hydra for one to kill their Llanowar Elf. It gives you this huge tempo swing. So especially in the mirror, or even if you're not playing mono green Planeswalkers, but just like a mono green aggro deck, that tempo swing 
is massive. Because if you're playing a mono green deck that needs this that runs hunt the hunter, you are almost always playing a mono green deck, which means you're also playing the elves. So you need that tempo swing, or even to get the tempo back. If they go elf three drop and you can hunt the hunter even on a draw, like kill their elf and then play another elf or something like that. Actually, you can do like elf and then a two drop, like elf wolf Willowhaven. It's a one mana card to either completely take the wind out of your opponent's sails if you're on the play, or catches you back up when you're on the draw. Very good card in that matchup. Uh, Pithing Needle is very niche, being colorless card. If you're very desperate, you could do it. You could do it on a planeswalker, like you're doing like a Vivian after she resolved. So it just like put two counters on something, and that's probably manageable. If your hand, if you're bringing a lot of color hate cards like Noxious Grasp, and you're very afraid of Karn, you could Pithing Needle their Karn. So because you're like, I can deal with anything but Karn because I'm running all these Ether Gusts and Noxious Grasps. Um, you can shut down Karn with this, and it works there. Generally, not a card I would be happy to bring in, but a card I would definitely consider if it is in my sideboard. And the last card, it's. Okay, this is technically a mono-white card, but we threw in a multicolor. It's Chained to the Rocks, which mostly has to do with the fact it's white, but you need a mountain. So it's kind of a Boros card. It can deal with their big creatures. It can kill a Llanowar Elf, which again is super important. Mm. Chained to the Rocks decks can be also something like Jeskai Luka, which doesn't often run Shock, and this is their piece of one-mana interaction. All right, moving on to the uh, fifth deck, which is Niftalite. Coming out of white, we were thinking about a card like Devout Decree. Yeah. And a funny thing is about Niv is that almost every color hate card, especially if it covers more than one color, is probably good against Niv. Because it runs so many multicolored cards that if you have a random hate card for two colors, it's probably going to be able to hit something important out of Niv. Niv himself... But like Devout Degree, it hits Niv, it can hit Omnath, it can hit Nahiri. So there's good hits. It's not as good as a card like Noxious Grasp, because that can hit white cards, so it hits Teferi, it hits green cards, so it hits Uro. But like Devout Degree, it does exile, so like there's there's ups and downs. I would say Noxious Grasp is the better card. But if you're like out of mono white, you have devout degrees in your board, I can imagine you bring these in. Kunaros, so the Graft Digger's Cage on Legs, is an anti-aggro card that Niv can bring in. And this answers that too. So if you're playing like White Weenie, you can imagine they might be able to bring in a Kunaros, and then this is a good answer. Blue, kind of the same shtick, we're going a little bit faster here. We've got Disdainful Stroke, Aether Gust, Mystical Dispute, Negate, again Negate-ish. Probably not want to overload on your Negates. Then out of black, we've got Edicts in general. A particular one can be Self-Inflicted Wound. It makes them sacrifice a green or a white creature, and if they do, they take two. So this can be a little bit better out of your aggro deck because it still gets the clock going, kind of in a searing blood vein. And a lot of the reason why Edicts are good is because of Sylvan Caryatid. And Sylvan Caryatid is a very important card in Niftalite that is sort of the glue that holds the deck together. Because running a five-color mana base is hard, right? Especially if you don't have Fetches, well, Fable Passage, but you don't have, like, Polluted Delta and cards like that. Yeah. So sometimes they have opening hands that are really 
like glued together by Sylvan Caryatid. And being able to kill that Sylvan Caryatid can literally just make them like stumble for five turns if they don't draw the color they were supposed to fix. Which is an important note with Thoughtseize, which is a card that is very valuable in the deck, in the matchup, to take like a Niv, which could be like a four for one. However, if you Thoughtseize your opponent on turn one, and there is a Sylvan Caryatid in there, you should take a very good look at their lands. Because there is a chance that you're looking at a hand that is held together by Sylvan Caryatid. Yeah. And if you're looking at a hand that is like three lands, like two Nivs and a Sylvan Caryatid, you're like, well, I guess one of those Nivs is going to stick. Maybe I could just mana screw them by taking Sylvan Caryatid. Which is a very important like level up you have to do in that matchup. When you're looking at, a, at an opening hand, or you're looking at a first hand with Thoughtseize, check the mana. See if there's one a way in which you can disrupt their game plan, especially if you're playing something like Mono Black Vampires, which can have a very hard time against Niv because one point a Niv is going to resolve and it's going to be buried, and you can steal games with taking a Sylvan Caryatid and they just never get their fifth color. Yeah, the tough thing about Mono Black Vampires versus Niv is just again it's that roadblock. The only way that you can kind of get through is you plus Soren on a vampire and you give it death touch for the turn so they don't want to block but then they just turn around and slap Soren. so there aren't really many flyers available now and it is worth exploring nighthawk scavenger or whatever from uh zendikar rising because it does have lifelink and death touch so that's a card i've always thought about for pioneer i run it in the historic version of mono black vampires because you don't have access to kalidus or some other cards but yeah, Niv is tough. Just fly over and kill Sor, and then you're like, well, where's, my pressure's gone now. So, yeah, feels bad. Guess I'll die. And then we've mentioned it before too, Noxious Grasp. Again, it, it hits basically everything. Yeah. By covering white and green, it covers effectively every card in the deck. It does actually cover every card in the deck. I think it does too. They might randomly run like a black creature. Like I've seen it before, which is weird. Like I've seen them run a mono. I've, run, I've seen more Kalidus. Oh, uh, they can run Blood Baron, which has Pro Black. I've never seen Blood Baron in their deck, though. Blood Baron or Fiscopa, that's that's where I saw it the first time, in Niv. Oh, really? And they just bring to light, and they put it on the battlefield, and I was playing Mono Black Zombies, and I was like, guess I'm dead. Mm. Another card, though, um, or another type of card with an asterisk here, we actually had our editor, um, our new editor, whose name is also Alex, was in the uh, chat with us early before we started recording. And we were kind of going over cards and we were talking about Niv to Light, about what we we're going to talk about with uh, with this. And he asked about extraction effects, like if it's effectiveness against Niv. And it's a yes and no answer. It's hard to just pick and narrow down a single card, similar to the sense of Reclamation, but at least you can go Reclamation or their big payoff, like Expansion Explosion, where you could name Niv, but then it just becomes this weird, just guild-based Bring to Light deck where they just name other stuff. And then they also have Uro. They run four of those to fall back on. They have their Planeswalkers and stuff like that to keep going. So your extraction effect might be effective in holding back that giant best mid-range plan ever, slam down Niv to Light, Niv to Light, uh, slam down Niv, and then get all the value. So it slows them down, but is it effective enough to consider bringing in? Maybe if you don't have any other cards worth bringing in, let's say you're in a meta where you don't feel like Noxious Grasp is 
the best at the moment. So you don't keep it in just for Niv because I don't. And my Vampire's deck, I don't run Noxious Grasp at all. I have Heartless Act in there instead, which actually, that's a card we've omitted a lot now that I think about it. Yeah. Heartless Act is a very good card that should be in a lot of these black discussions. I do really like Heartless Act. I think it's a very good card. There's just, in some of these matchups, there's been some awkwardness. Like, I don't think it's a particularly great one against Burn. It's like, yeah, it's two mana removal, but yeah, just bring in all your removal, obviously. The downside against Mono uh, against mono Green is that it actually has a lot of counters. Yeah. Uh, Vivian, Voracious Hydra. So it's it's a nice one too, right? Blight Beetle means there can never be counters on a creature, so then Heartless Act can just literally kill anything. Except for an, it can even kill the Nissa Lands because you just take the three counters off, then it becomes zero zero. Yeah, but you are right. It, it a Heartless Act is an overall very good um, black card. But that's already main deckable, so I guess in a sense we don't need to discuss that one too much because it's ran a lot in most black decks. Yeah, true. It's kind of a comment I made about eliminate, mm-hmm. where it's like it's not really a card I would say like put in your sideboard, but just keep it in if it's in your main. And I feel Heartless Act fills a very similar role yeah. in a lot of these matchups. I don't have much out of red or green. Again, red has, I guess, the Burning Earth meme, because pretty much every land is not... Yeah, no, no, red Red is just bad here. Red is just hoping to get him dead, and, and, and pray to God they don't have a Sylvan Carrier to it on turn two. If Fry did six damage, it'd be great. <laughs> Unfortunately for us... Uh... Fry does five, so it does nothing. If Fry did six damage, then Oko would have had a plus four ability to start off. Because <laughs> that's the whole story with Oko. Why it would just be the new Karn. Why Oko went from four to six immediately had a plus two is because they were in play design saying, but it feels bad to have your face of the set get fried when you play him. And it's like, yeah, that's that's a color hate card. That's the fucking point. And that's how they work. God, wizards, you fucking drive me so insane sometimes. When I heard that story, I actually got mad. I genuinely got upset when I heard that. And I was like, why? I was mad when they printed Carnage Tyrant and they specifically gave it six toughness so it wouldn't die to Hour of Devastation. That got me mad. I like Carnage Tyrant, though. <laughs> I've grown to like it, but that's more because we talked about more like, cards have recently been so crazy that Carnage Tyrant looks kind of tame. Yeah, it's not seen playing Pioneer, which I thought it was like, you know, teetering where it could have been. But again, no red, no green here for this matchup because it's it's really tough. No. Multicolored has some cards we talked about before. Uh, Vito, if negate, again, then Vito. Uh, Notion Thief is again a card I want to bring up. There is a lot of stuff still in this deck that draws cards. Now, Niv himself technically doesn't draw cards. It puts in the hand, right? Like it looks and then puts. So Yeah. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't draw because it looks and then puts them in your hand. It's just that's also why it works with NAR set out. Yeah. Is there anything that stops that? No, there's no effects that I know that stops put-in-hand effects. That just, like, dig through time works around these type of cards, too. That's sometimes what makes these cards good. Because just like Narset doesn't work against Narset. She doesn't stop herself. They're going to print a Notion Thief that just says, can't look at library. (laughs) (laughs) You can't even look at it. The most Notionist of thieves. And so Notion Thief, also an important note, which is also important against the um, Reclamation decks, is if they bounce Notion Thief with Teferi, they get to draw. Because by the time the Teferi ability resolves for them to draw a card, your Notion Thief will be in your hand. But the upside of Notion Thief being it as Flash, as opposed to like Narset, that is a sorcery speed card, is you can pick the battle on their end step, and when Notion Thief is in play, 
you suddenly start playing much easier magic. And another one, the last one we can bring up, maybe unless you've got some suggestions, Brad, no. is uh, Ashiok, Nightmare Muse, again, the War of the Spark one. Not a card I would put in my sideboard if my opponent is on Niv. It does shut off Fabled Passage and um, Bring to Light. Yeah, I think Bring to Light's a big deal. But that's pretty much it. All right, so we've been on uh, talking about this subject for a bit now. And sadly, I don't have the time to continue doing all this because I have to work tomorrow. So what we're going to do, we're going to stop at these five. Uh, the next five we would talk about, in case you wonder for next time, is Ors of Auras, Mono Black Aggro, Lotus Field, uh, Four Color Omnath, and Jeskai Luka. And the idea is, is that unless like giant magic news comes up, this is probably what we'll continue on next week. So we couldn't do all 10, because as Brad and I always do, we went on for a little bit too long, talking a little bit too much. But I do think it was an informative thing we've done. Also, just tell us if you hated this. You're like, oh, this is way too cut and dry, list stuff. Uh, I don't like this. Also, please let us know. Uh, But if we don't hear anything, we'll just continue doing this next week, and we'll finish these 10 and maybe if we find the time, then we can even touch on some other decks. Like a deck that I think is omitted from all of this is Spirits, which might be worth having a go at. All right. With all that being said, we introduced this segment last week and we plan to keep it every single week until you guys hate us enough where you stop asking questions altogether. It is the Pioneer Perspective Mailbag. We should probably get a sound effect to throw in right there when I say that. Like it's like a bear, bear, bear or something, something stupid. Editor, if you can do that and muster something up, I'll kiss you on the lips. All right. Here we go. (laughs) Alex gave me the worst look. It is the Pioneer Perspective Mailbag. So, a couple questions I want to go over. Let's go with an easy one. This one is brought to us by Tyrant. What is the best way to bling out your decks, and why is it signed cards? So he is obsessed with getting his card signed. That's that's his way of making like, you know, getting the flex on people. Uh, Alex, if you bling out your deck, what's what's your favorite way to do it? I really don't really care about blinging out my deck. The only one that I've grown to really like is the new style like promos they do. So like Heartless Actor Eliminate, where they really sort of like especially like the black cards or thought erasure where they sort of like make the background color. I don't know what they do with it. Like a little bit darker, something like, I really like those, but I don't like, like ultimate rare from Yu-Gi-Oh where it's like that darker kind of like bit. Yeah. Like those vibes. I really like that, but I don't like foils. Now I don't really mind foils in like looking foil. I just hate foils because they bend, right? If foils were done well, I would probably own more foils. Like, I have one foil in my Grixis deck, and it is the Stained Glass Nicobolas Planeswalker. I have one copy of it being Stained Glass, which I got from a friend of mine. And it took forever for that thing to be flat enough so I could put it in my deck. And I was like, I'm not going to go through that for every card. Like, this is a very special card. Well, that was part of a like a, a pseudo secret layer thing before secret layer with the, the mythic edition where those types of foiling where it's a direct product from wizards have had issues where it's like random foiling that you find in standard booster packs. Those have not had issues lately. Well, some do and some don't. That's my problem. I've still opened ones recently. Some bend, some don't. Mm. So I can't go to a store and order four. 
Because I might have two good ones and two crap ones. So I don't really like foiling because of the like technicalities of it. I do really like alternate art, mostly in the sense like an FNM promo. Like again, like I know the new FNM promos, but like the old style FNM promos I thought were really cool too, where you got different art. Not the biggest fan of getting my card signed, to be honest. Unless I can meet the artist or a card is meaningful to me. So when I went to my only GP I've been to, well, the only GP I played in, which was in Brussels, I had my Unstable Lance signed by John Avon. So I got to met, meet him, talk to him a little bit. Really great guy. And he signed my Lance, which I thought was really cool. And now when I look at them, I think back of going to that GP. So it makes it more meaningful. And I always know that whichever islands I have around, I know what my special islands are. And I have one signed copy of Dynavolt Tower because that's just one of my favorite cards that drew me to like playing Magic. And I saw Dynavolt Tower. I fell in love and I brewed like seven decks around it. Yeah. And sorry for mispronouncing the name, probably Titus Lunter, I think the illustrator, was at that same GP. And I didn't even know. So I arrived and I was, I was like, wait, that's the guy that has illustrated Dynavolt Tower. And I had my trade binder with me, and luckily, i it's not even a card you put in a trade binder. I had one copy of Dynavolt Tower in that trade binder, and I was like, I'm going to have to get this signed. That's a nice little story. I like that a lot. When it comes to foiling or getting bling for your deck for me, again, I've talked about this before. Thanks to my introduction through TCGs by playing Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon, which both TCGs have some of the flashiest-looking foils you'll ever see in a card game. I am a slut for foiling. I am a slut for for just promos in general. And like, because it's a big thing in Yu-Gi-Oh! Where like, you have this card that's playable and it's a great card. But then all of a sudden, OTS pack comes out, which is your um, something tournament store pack, whatever. I, I'm blanking out on the, on the abbreviation. I'm going to remember after the castle, I'm going to be pissed. Anyway, OTS pack comes out and that's... OTS packs are basically option opportunities for Konami to reprint cards and upgrade their rarity, which in magic, that's heresy. That's like, are you kidding me? When when we had the double masters thing where some cards went from being an uncommon to rare, everyone's like, it was the trap, the trap door card or whatever that was that that yeah. People were like, what the hell? But in Yu-Gi-Oh!, when you see, you know, a card like uh one of your toads or a Paleozoic card that was traditionally in a common, and that's a good play deck, and also it's upgraded to super rare or ultra rare or or ultimate rare because there's ultimate rares in the OTS packs, and everyone just loses their mind. Like they made Solemn Strike an ultimate rare, and I pulled it in OTS pack. It was seventy dollars at the time. Sold it about a week later for ninety dollars. Guess how much that card runs for now, Alex? Probably like two hundred. Yeah, it over two hundred. Oh. I hate myself so much. But thanks to Yu Gi Oh and these obsessions with you know. Then that's the player base in general. Obsessions with upgrading their cards and getting the shiny, better-looking cards. Um, I like to do the same with Magic. So I just like getting any foil I possibly can. If I have the option to get a card in foil, I get it. Um, but I love, more than anything, unique promos of cards that I just don't see often. And a lot of times, they're actually pretty affordable. Maybe a couple bucks for you know a card and like six bucks for a playset kind of thing. So I'll gladly do that if I have the opportunity to do so. Like Sylvan Scrying's promo, for example, or uh, Death Baron, Dead Baron, Death Death Baron, D A D A T. It's Death Baron. Okay, that promo is amazing. Yeah. So like cards like that, those are the cards that I would. That's how I would bling it out. 
there's a there's a full art diagraph ghoul. Yeah. That is like very realistic art. It's like coming out of like crawling at you. It has like a sword stabbed through his back. It's so cool. Yeah, cards like that are the cards I. That's how I bring out my deck. My vampire deck is like seventy percent foiled. I'm so happy with it. And for owning them yourself, so then I, it's even less for me about the art sometimes. Is if a card was like, and it is not really a thing anymore. If a card is tied to an event, I always think that's really cool, especially when we're at the game day promos, right? And if you went to a game day. And you got the game day promo, sort of again what I have with the signed cards. I had like the game day glory bringer. Oh yeah. And I could just like every time I cast that glory bringer, it's like, hey, I remember that game day. That was awesome. You associate memory with like certain art. And sometimes that means you can even have the ugly art. It's like I hate that. It's like, yeah, but I love it because of the art. Because specifically because of this art. And I'll give you one more question, Alex. I know you gotta head out or head to bed. What matchup would you use to introduce two new Pioneer players to the format? Brought to you by Drake Drake Carr? D-R-A-K-E-K-A-R-H. I wrote this down last week when I... Oh yeah, I remember. I would go... (laughs) Even though it can be one-sided if you play it well, I would go Mono Black Aggro against Mono Green Walkers. Okay. The decks are straightforward. They're monocolored, which is nice when you're new to the format. I think the mana cheatiness... Um, permanent soup style uh, idea of mono green planeswalkers is quite representative of the format and mono black aggro is like a staple of the format too like since its inception yeah so i have my matchup it has a similar reasoning to yours it's like the two decks are representing the matchups and like what you're seeing how they're playing is representing or representing the format i mean my matchup is a representation of the format not in what the decks produce but in how they interact with one another and how the games get played in Pioneer. And it would be Rakdos Pyromancer and Boros Burn, specifically the matchup between Sir Epic and Even in the Season 6 Invitational that you and I casted. One of the best games of Magic I've seen to this day, and I think you can say the same when we watched that matchup. Yeah, it was fantastic. That back and forth, the lines of play, in two decks that you would think wouldn't have too many lines of play like that, but they were massively in your face and there was so much going on and it was an incredibly interesting match and absolutely wonderful to watch. And that's what you have to look forward to in the pioneer format. A lot of thinking and just going over your three or four lines of play and how to approach the next turn because it makes all the difference. My only problem with having that matchup be your first matchup is that I feel like it's hard to get that type of magic out of the decks. If you pick them up for the first time. Whereas I feel like Mono Green, for example, is a bit more straightforward. Like, if you know how to do quote-unquote devotion math, where it's like, okay, you go, like, turn one, like, Forest Llanowar Elf, and then turn two, you go, like, you do the weird stuff with, like, Burning Tree Emissary, and then, but you do that by, like, tapping the Elf, and then, like, you get, get like, your floating mana, you channel that into a Nykthos, blah, blah, blah. Once you've got that down, you kind of know how to pilot Mono Green mostly. Yeah. So if you just hand it to an experienced player, they'll figure it out. And if you hand Mono Black Aggro to an experienced player, they'll figure it out. I think if you introduce people to the format with Burn and Ragnar Spiromancer, they're just going to ignore each other and race. Yeah. And they don't get like the cool back and forth because it's they don't have the experience with it. Well, that's why we'll have a you know little session where they get to meet Professor Alex and Professor Brad, 
And then your introductory to the format is actually seeing your matchup to show you, hey, easy decks to play or whatever. And then once they get a few games under their belt in that regard, then we're like, okay, but this is the potential of what the format has to offer as far as the intricacy of it. I'm like the beginner class and you're the advanced class. Yeah. Right. I just go and it's like, hi, welcome to your first day of Pioneer. (laughs) (laughs) And I go over that. And then by the end of the semester, they need to be able to play your matchup. All right. You need to go buy a lab coat immediately. I'm going to go buy a lab coat and we're going to make this into an actual video for the MTG at home uh, YouTube channel. And then I'm going to showcase the actual footage of season six of the Pioneer Invitational where we're casting it and kind of break it down like a highlight reel. I'm going to do like the football thing where they do like the yellow lines and stuff and draw stuff out. And, you know, speaking of which, though, it is brought to you by the MTG at Home Discord server, which we are the official podcast of. So please hop in, join us, play some paper magic with us and just hang out. We just started up a new season for Pioneer. We have a modern invitational that will be streamed uh, on the 26th on the, of December, which will be post-Christmas, which in the Netherlands is like two days Christmas for you, whatever. And here here in the important country, it's... Yeah, so, so we literally call it... In, in England, they have Boxing Day too, which I'm sure some people from Europe will be uh, familiar with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so before I hop off, um, I can be found on Twitter... At, at Disciple of Bolas, again, yet to tweet anything about um, Pioneer. I actually was tempted to make my first tweet today when I just listened to the podcast. And last week I mentioned in the big red deck, if you have Golos and you spin it and you hit another Iron Crack feat, you can keep going. Well, 10 seconds before that, I explained that Iron Crack feat only allows you to cast one more spell. And I was like, you idiot! And I almost wanted to tweet, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but then I heard, then I listened more, and then I said something else that was... Sit- oh, and then I made the mistake, like, oh, I think most Oops for Spells deck are 60-card decks. It's like, Alex, they're all 80 cards now. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to have to deal with the fact that I make multiple mistakes per per podcast. And if I would tweet correct all of them, I would suddenly end up with a really busy Twitter because I would have way too much correcting to do. The other way you can do it is every single week, every time I plug your Twitter, you're going to come up with the same exact thing every single time. No tweets yet, but you can find me here. <laughs> We're just going to do this for the next 10 years. <laughs> every single time. I haven't tweeted yet. You know what? I, I'll Before next week, I will just put a magic-related tweet on there. I don't even know what it's going to be. It could just be like... Pioneer good. (laughs) Pioneer good, popper bad. No, I I actually quite like popper. I just haven't played in him forever. I'm just going to like... You know what? Oh my god, no, he's actually doing it. We're getting this live, folks. I don't even know where to find... Okay, I could do... Oh my god. I I don't care about ads. (laughs) (laughs) Old man doesn't know how to navigate Twitter. Pioneer good he's gonna twit for the first time sweet hey Hooray. i do actually have a personal twitter but i haven't used that in like five years so now my first tweet pioneer good congrats round of applause there you go i do now own a filled twitter you can also find me on twitter at bradsifer b-r-a-d-c-i-f-e-r and that is going to be the same for literally every single social media you can think of doesn't matter what it is xbox snapchat uh instagram the latter two, I recommend not adding me on because I probably won't accept you. But, you know, try, I guess. I don't know. Have fun. Don't care. Bradsfer, again. Hooray! And with that, everyone, 
We love you so much. We appreciate you for joining us. We appreciate you so much for giving us the feedback that you do, whether it's on the Reddit threads, within the Discord itself, and all the other Discords that I bug people in to be like, hey, listen to our podcast. So you're all amazing people, and we would not be here without you. And of course, we hope to see you again next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.